listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Revelation 2 and the verse number 8, the Lord says, And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works, and tribulation, and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews, and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried. And ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Amen. We praise the Lord for his word to the church in Smyrna and to our souls again tonight. When the early church father, Polycarp, was placed under trial in 155 AD, he answered Caesar's proconsul with these words, Eighty and six years have I served him that is Christ, and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my saviour? Polycarp soon after became a martyr for Christ, his death occurring while he served as an elder in Smyrna. He was the bishop, the elder of Smyrna. The reference of 86 years may refer to his age, or it may refer even to 86 years following his conversion. He says, 86 years have I served Christ. Either way, 86 years back from AD 155 finds Polycarp as a young man, perhaps in Smyrna, when Jesus dictates this letter to John. Smyrna was a rival to Ephesus as the first city of Asia, not as large, but known for splendid buildings and a pleasant climate. It was a loyal ally to Rome and recognized as such. We don't have a record of the beginnings of the church, but likely it was founded during Paul's third missionary journey as he goes through Asia. We know from Acts 19 verse 10 that Paul continued in Ephesus by the space of two years so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. In other words, the whole region was evangelized during that phase of Paul's missionary journeys. Now, the connection between Polycarp and the church is intriguing, especially given the words of this letter in chapter 2, verse number 10. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Both Irenaeus and Tertullian, church fathers, say that Polycarp had been a disciple of John. John, who is writing these letters from Christ Jerome also confirms that, confirming that Polycarp was a disciple of John and that John had himself ordained him as a bishop and elder in Smyrna. Polycarp was faithful unto death, burned at the stake in the year AD 155. 
His crime, he refused to say Caesar is Lord. Remember the Christian confession? Christos Curios, Christ is Lord. Well, the Romans wanted Caesar to be acknowledged and worshipped as Lord. The proconsul, again representing Caesar, had some sympathy to Polycarp's age and offered him a way out, saying to him, Swear, and I will set thee at liberty. Reproach Christ. Polycarp gave that answer that I've just read. Eighty and six years have I served him. He never did me any injury. We all can say that, can't we? Christ has never injured our souls. And Polycarp says, How then can I blaspheme my King and my Saviour? When he was further pressed, the old Polycarp answered, Since thou art vainly urgent that I should swear by the fortune of Caesar and pretendest not to know who and what I am, hear me declare with boldness, I am a Christian. The proconsul warned him, I have wild beasts at hand. To these will I cast thee, except thou repent. Polycarp refused to acknowledge any fear of the beasts. The proconsul says, I will cause thee to be consumed by fire, seeing thou despisest wild beasts, if thou wilt not repent. Polycarp is said to have responded in these words, Now threatenest me with fire which burneth for an hour, and after a little is extinguished, but art ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. But why tarriest thou? Bring forth what thou wilt. Soon afterwards, the people began to gather the wood and the faggots, and the Jews, according to custom, were also among those eagerly assisting in the death and the martyrdom of Polycarp. I find it fascinating and encouraging to think that Polycarp was spurred on and encouraged by Christ's words himself. The words that Christ spoke to the church that he himself pastored, Verse 11, he that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. These historical figures, they certainly challenge us, they inspire us, they rebuke us. But at the same time, we see that if the words of Christ will encourage them unto faithfulness, so these same words ought to encourage us. And so they do. These are words to encourage the faithful. And so note, first of all, please, first of all, the Lord's acknowledgement of their troubles. Verse number 9. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not. The Lord acknowledges their troubles. I know. Those are words themselves that bring much comfort. And the Lord is cognizant of their situation. Not only does he know about Ephesus, but he also knows about the circumstances in Smyrna. There are four things that the Lord sees and acknowledges. First of all, he acknowledges their action. I know thy works. This term is describing their faithfulness. The works have been referred to again back in verse number two of the same chapter in Ephesus. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. These are the works the works that are the evidence of the genuineness of saving faith produced by grace. This reference to works is a, it's a reference to these believers 
having a substantial, substantial mark in their lives as those who are walking with God in a hostile environment. The troubles that they experience are not arising due to sinful patterns of life. The Lord knows their works. It's a description of their genuineness. He sees their hearts and the works. They illustrate the genuineness of the heart. This is one of the letters that the Lord speaks no words of admonition to this church. No rebuke. Words of commendation. I know thy works. Secondly, he knows their tribulation, their action. And secondly, their tribulation. I know thy works and tribulation. It speaks of the sufferings of those who are faithful to Christ. In the context of the book of Revelation, it is those who are suffering at the hands of the Romans for their allegiance to the Savior, Jesus Christ as Lord. We know from verse number 10 that these tribulations included prison and indeed for some death itself. The Lord knew the tribulation. He knew their destitution. I know thy works in tribulation and poverty. This is a reference to financial poverty. There are records told that there were those believers in Asia at this time who lost their employment due to their faith. They were faithful to Christ. The consequence was they lost their employment. He also knows their opposition. The opposition that they faced. I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. The blasphemy here speaks of evil speaking. It's a, it's a general term describing how they're being reviled. Uh, like what Christ says in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. That they're being reviled. They're suffering this evil speaking at the hands of the Jews. This is one of the most tragic verses at the close of the book of Revelation. That the people of God for whom the Messiah came, are now seeking to destroy the followers of their Messiah. These are the Jews. Christ came unto his own. His own received him not, and now, now his own are the ones who are complicit with the persecution of those who have come to believe and acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. Oh, how deceived they were. They, they thought they were the gathering of God, the synagogue of God. But they were not. They were the synagogue of Satan. They thought they had God's blessing upon them. But in truth, they were living under Satan's rule, doing Satan's bidding. The thought of Satan in verse number 10 is continued in verse number, uh, verse number 9, sorry, is continued in verse number 10. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison. And the thought is here that the Jews themselves were were part of how these Christians were ended up in, in prison for their faith. The likely scenario is that there were Jews who were testifying against the Christians in the Roman courts. In Smyrna, all were expected to worship Caesar, as Polycarp was asked to do in a later generation. The Jews had immunity from this for a time. The church also had this immunity. But the Jews, as time went on, disowned association with the church and so exposed the church to this trouble. Satan cast them into prison. The Jews, the synagogue of Satan, were casting the believers into prison. Now, we may, we may be removed, far removed, from the Smyrna experience, but these days may come. 
These days may well come, and we ought to store the Word of God in our hearts that we will be prepared for such days. Perhaps, perhaps Polycarp was in his 20s when this letter is written, and it's at the end of his life that these words have their real merit and place in his life. Years later, the words bear fruits as one who's faithful unto death. And so it may be for some of you young people that you will have this word stored in your heart. I pray you would. I pray that the challenge comes in your life, that you're forced to confess Christ or die, that you will choose not to deny your Savior. And perhaps these words will be a remembrance to you. He that overcometh shall not be heard of the second death. I, I pray that God would strengthen your heart. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, 2 Timothy 2. See, faithfulness to Christ doesn't mean ease in this world. It's the opposite. And we lie to our children. If we suggest that God's will for his children is a life of comfort, ease, and material prosperity, if we presume it's always God's will that we have the easy way and all, all of these material blessings and prosperity, if we presume that is God's will, we are causing our children to believe a lie. And we must be careful. We must be faithful and honest to understand that faithfulness to Christ, the Lord knows their works, and yet they're suffering great tribulation. But what should always encourage us is the knowledge of the Lord's interest and insight into our experiences. He truly is our caring and kind shepherd. One commentator says this, Viewed in this way, Smyrna appears to be the most blessed church in Asia Minor. Whereas Ephesus was less than what she appeared to be, Smyrna was much more than what she appeared to be. Though small in numbers and oppressed by poverty and persecution, this church abounded in spiritual life. The more she was tried, the more she was blessed. Let's not judge. Let's not judge a church because of its numbers. It's not just a church because of what may look externally to be a faithful, thriving church. Let's, let's wait for Christ's assessment. He knows his church. The Lord's acknowledgement, the Lord's acknowledgement of their troubles. Secondly, the Lord's assessment of their true condition. Very briefly, but thou art rich. There's the Lord's assessment. They look at their own circumstances. They, they see their poverty. They see their tribulation. They, they see the wolves at the door pressing to get in to pull them from limb to limb. And the Lord says, you're rich. But we are destitute. We lack financial stability and clothing. But you're rich. But some of our best people have been taken to prison. We, we've, we've lost the resource of our, of our pastors and teachers. But you're rich. All the various things they can present to the Lord as arguments against the Lord says, but thou art rich. Oh, we need to remember the truth. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. The child of God possesses treasures in heaven. That is their home and, and living for Christ. That's what we're doing. We're laying up treasures in heaven. How good are we at counting up our spiritual treasures? 
There's all manner of means nowadays to record your financial condition for good or for ill. No longer waiting for a bank statement at the end of the month. Now you can get it on your, on your cell phone at a, at a push a button and you know, well, you know how much money you have or don't have. And we're careful, rightly so, to, to keep a record of our, of our financial state. But have you, have you ever tried to, to keep a record ledger of your spiritual blessings? Keeping a part, some part of a journal or a book that records God's blessings in your life? Seeing all the spiritual blessings you have in Christ Jesus? But you're rich. But you're rich, dear child of God. Which leads lastly to the Lord's assurance in their trials. Verse number 10. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Here's the Lord's assurance in their trials. He, he, gives them, he gives them two words in terms of their duty. Fear none of these things. And also, be thou faithful unto death. Those are the, the two commands. Fear not. And be faithful. Unto death does not describe being faithful until the day of your death. Although that's true. It has a sense of being faithful to the point of death, that though you may be 20 or 30 and the sword is placed towards your neck, you will allow the sword to pierce you rather than denying Christ. Faithful unto death. It speaks of loyalty and obedience and submission to Christ Jesus. Fear not. Be faithful. Those are the words that apply to all of us at every point of life. We may not be suffering what's happening in Smyrna here. We may not be suffering the flames and the sword. But still the command, the same, fear not and be faithful. No change in Lord's will for his, for his children. Young person, older person, your duty is to fear not and be faithful. Fear not refers to the future. Don't fear the future. Be faithful refers to the now. Continue in the present to, to be loyal to Christ, to love Christ, to obey his word, to submit to his will. How is such possible? How can, the, how can people like Polycarp fear not and be faithful? Well, there are three reasons, I think, that we have in these verses. First of all, there is the reason, the acknowledgement of the Lord's permission. It says there in verse 10, Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. The Lord knows that they will suffer and permits it. Ye shall have. And the Lord permits this for a fixed time. Ye shall have tribulation ten days. You see, we see here the Lord's sovereignty over their sufferings. And the reference to the ten days is the clue that shows us the Lord is in control of their sufferings. He's able to say, ten days. Now here, the point is not that they will suffer for exactly ten days. In fact, the church there suffered much longer than ten days, longer than ten years. But what it's being used for, it is being used symbolically, as numbers often are in Revelation, 
to denote a fixed yet short time. It's not three and a half years. It's not 42 months. We'll see those, those numbers later on. It's just 10 days. It's a fixed, definite, predetermined time that is short. And God's in control of that time. It is, it is in God's grace that he will never try us more than we can bear. If I can put it in a very simple and yet hopefully helpful way, there is no such thing as an 11-day trial in the Christian life. He always has the time under his control. Paul, 2 Corinthians 4, for a light affliction which is but for a moment, 10 days, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 1 Peter chapter 1, let's turn back to 1 Peter chapter 1. You'll see it there in your own, in your own Bibles. This reference again to a, to a short time. Verse number 6, For didn't you rejoice, or you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, not forever, but for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. I praise God that He is a 10-day plan for the trials of His children. It's in His control. It's in His wisdom. It's the Lord's permission that encourages and strengthens the child of God. It's also the Lord's purpose. If you keep your finger in 1 Peter chapter 1 and just turn back to Revelation chapter 2, you'll see there what he says. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried, refined, tested by the Lord. And you go back to 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 7. Peter just referred to this season of temptations, trials, verse 7, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. The Lord's purpose to the Smyrnan believers is that in their trials they are purified of the dross and they are made more like unto Christ. The Lord knoweth the way that I take Job. When it's tried me, it shall come forth as gold. The mysteries of God's purposes. Why it is His will that we must suffer these things in this earth. Hard to understand and discern all of these things, but we know it is for our good. And it is for His glory. And we're strengthened in our trials. The Lord's permission, the Lord's purposes, and finally the Lord's promises. Be thy faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. And those that overcome shall not be hurt at the second death. The crown here. There's an interesting feature in the word for crown that is used here. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. This is not the crown that a king wears. It is the victory wreath of the runner. It is the Stephanos. It's the word that's used for the crown here. Who's the first Christian martyr? Stephen. He's a crown of life. He's a martyr, faith on the death, and he's given a crown of life. And God Christ gives these Stephanos crowns to every faithful Stephen, faithful unto death. Paul encourages all that regard. 2 Timothy chapter 4, there's a crown of righteousness laid up for him. But not only to Paul, but unto all them that love Christ's appearing. You may lose your life, that you may gain life. 
you preserve your life, you lose your life. If you lose your life, you gain your life. That's Christ's teaching, and so it is here. Die and receive life. And whilst that is true in a very literal sense here, it is also true in the spiritual. If we are to live in Christ, we must die to self. Putting self to death that we may live for the glory of God. But the promise here is of a crown of life. And secondly, they will not be touched by the second death. We're told what the second death is in Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The first death, of course, refers to physical death. The second death refers to that eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. And those that overcome their trials will not be hurt by this. This promise is secured by the Lord himself. I skipped the very opening verse of this letter. Verse number 8. These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. The way the Lord addresses these churches is connected to the promises he gives. The Lord can promise life. He can promise that they will not be hurt by the second death because he has suffered death that we may know life. That's the assurance here. Christ was dead and is alive. He's resurrected. He's a resurrected Savior. That though we die, yet shall we live. The hope, the expectation of the child of God. That though they are buried, yet they shall rise again. Because Christ rose again. That's our expectation. And so Polycarp understands that though he dies from the flame or the sword, he has the assurance that Christ has defeated death, therefore death cannot harm him. And that's how the child of God lives boldly and courageous in a fallen world. Though death may come, yet life, life is our portion. Oh, when we consider the Lord's words to this church, well, they certainly bring comfort and rebuke. But the comfort comes in that their Lord and Savior is my Lord and Savior. And yet I think about how faithful they were. I think of the faithfulness of Polycarp. Oh yes, by God's grace. But I think about how easily I'm knocked off course by the little things. Things of so little consequence. And they shake the very core of my faith. We need to hear these words again. Be thy faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.